my loves. I am so happy and so pleased to announce that this episode is brought to you by my very own company, Savage Chocolates, which is all about cultivating a more loving relationship to your body and to food. You know, we don't really believe in guilty pleasure. We just believe in pleasure done well. And have you ever had that uh, candy bar or a thing of ice cream and you eat it and you're like, wait, I don't, I don't remember eating that. (laughs) Wait, where'd that go? (laughs) Well, that's why I created Savage Chocolates because I know the importance of pleasure. And I think that we don't slow down enough to actually experience it. And so... If you are wanting to eat mindfully, if you are wanting to be reminded of how to actually experience your pleasure, then please go to www.savagelosangeles.com to order your goods. All right, you guys, let's get to it. Whoa, I am really excited. And also, I have to say, being in your presence is very calming. Like I feel my energy really ground um, in your, in your presence. So I'm really grateful that you're here. My dear savages, we have Dr. Adi Jaffe here today. And can you talk to us a little bit about who you are, what you do and why you do it? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for having me. I feel like I should have the chocolates with me right now (laughs) while we're talking, but um, yeah, my name is Adi Jaffe. I am... Um, originally from Israel, been in the U.S. for a long time now, 30 years almost. And um, I guess what I normally do or the thing that normally brings me to these sort of circumstances is I really work a lot with people who struggle with addictions. I used to struggle myself. Uh, I was addicted to meth for about five years in my 20s. And that followed alcohol and weed and other drugs, but meth was kind of the one that that I found that really solved all the problems I was trying to solve, at least in the short term. Um, And my road over the last, at this point, almost 20 full years has been first learning and discovering what happened to me, then trying to understand how to really do the best job I can to prevent as many people as possible from having to go down the same road that I went down. And along the way, I made a ton of discoveries, some about myself, some about the world, some about relationships that I now share with people. And that's in books and uh, podcasts and with my amazing wife, Sophie, and with an online program that helps people who struggle with addiction too. That is so powerful and so potent. And for those of you listening, you know, I would love to say that, we get out of this place unscathed when it comes to compulsivicity or addiction. You know, I think so many of us are so trapped in our patterns that we don't necessarily even realize that we are addicted to something, whether that addiction is to a thought or a behavior or a substance or a person. Um, But if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'm not addicted. I'm not like a drunk or I'm not, I don't have this stuff. I think this is potent and powerful information, no matter where you fall on the spectrum of compulsivity or addiction, because I think when you actually put a magnifying glass to our life, we can find places that these, these patterns are hiding. Would you agree? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why I fight so deeply, even calling people who struggle with, let's say, with alcohol, alcoholics, or calling people who struggle with drugs, drug addicts. Mm -hmm. What it does is it allows us to separate us from them, me having been one of them, but now being normal. And so mm -hmm. I've lived on both sides. And I think it's a false dichotomy. I think, I think we are, maybe it makes us feel safer by the distance, mm -hmm. maybe it helps us believe that we've defined something, but I think what it does is it, it creates this illusion that those people have this thing, they have this condition. Mm. I'm not an addict or an alcoholic, so I don't have this issue. And yeah, we all, first of all, we all could take a second look at our habits, right? Totally. Um, period. About, period. You know, we, you can kind of, decide what you want to do with that knowledge. And many of us, if we're honest about it, have tendencies and habits that are hurting us in a pretty active way, but they're just not recognized in the addiction. So it's that separation that allows us to say, well, I'm not that bad. Mm. But here's the news. You don't have to get any, any kind of bad, right? You can just decide that you want to do something to get better today. And that yes. could be changing your morning rituals, your evening rituals, your, um, you know, the way you eat, the way you sleep, whatever that might be for you. Mm, so real. And it's so true. People talk so much about like morning rituals, but it's true. So many of our coping mechanisms come out at other times other than the morning. It's not just like, oh, did my morning routine. I'm good for the day. It's like, mm. well, let's investigate, you know, cool. Like it's the end of the day. And now you're eating, you know, two chocolate bars and a bottle of drinking a bottle of wine, <laughs> you know, it's like, let's so, shift so it. Many, and by the way, I deal with that with my clients as well. So many people do such a good job throughout the day of keeping it together. And then they right. sort of let go at night. Mm -hmm. um, my, my stance is always this. I want to help people create the kind of life they don't have to escape from anyway. Bingo. And just to be clear, I've been at this 20 years and it's still a work in progress. I'm always refining, always kind of sharpening my tools, always paying attention and always finding things that maybe four, five, six, seven years ago, I didn't even know to look at. Mm, so good. Uh, I would love to hear, since you've been at this for for a minute now, um, what do you think the real problem is? Like what leads us to addiction? What leads us to checking out and trying to escape our life? So I actually talk about, let's say if we're going to focus on addiction in particular, but I think this broadly has to do at least with mental health. Mm -hmm. I talk about biology, psychology, environment, and spirituality. Um, so I don't know that it's the same underlying issue for everybody. That being said, there are definitely threads that you find when I work um, with a lot of specific people. And, and one of the big ones is obviously trauma, right? We hear about it a lot. Um, and again, you might've heard these terms before, but there's big T and little T trauma. And big T is what you think of as trauma, going to war, being abused, raped, um, physically or emotionally abused as a child, being abandoned, um, you know, those massive things. But there's also little t trauma and, you know, that could be a divorce, which could also be big t trauma for some people, depending on the impact, moving around a lot, you know, low levels of bullying, uh, death in your, early, in your immediate surroundings and with people you're close with. Um, 
kind of social or parental pressures and um, and micro kind of aggressions almost. But the thing about little T trauma is if it happens consistently over time, it can still create PTSD and things of that nature. So trauma is a big one. You know, we're already talking about habits and patterns. A lot of us developed a way of living that served us in the moment at an earlier point in time in our lives and just doesn't anymore. One of the things that I can speak to from a lot of people that I see is I feel like for a lot of us at an early age, the pressure is to be like everybody else, to be normal, to not make noise. And I think, unfortunately, that's one of the um, biggest lies we get fed in society. This whole idea that you should be like everybody else, you should toe the line, you should walk the middle of the road, you should be normal, has so many problems built into it. First of all, normal is, is a completely subjective term depends on who you talk to at what time in terms of what is even normal and cultural differences, differences in time frame, um, differences in gender, differences in, you know, racial makeup, all those change what your comparison group for normal is, but then you're supposed to go out into the world and, and there's supposedly some sort of a normal person walking around. Normal is a lie. Just like perfect is a lie. And, the way that I talk to a lot of people about this and the, the way that kind of seems to get people to understand it quickly is I want you to look around your world and I want to see who do you admire. And I'm not talking about like looking up to your parents because they're very tied into your idea of what is okay and what is not. Mm. Outside of your family, who do you admire in the world for being normal? And my guess is there isn't anybody. I was There's just going to say it. <laughs> There's nobody. Yeah. Right. Like we actually admire people for thinking outside the box. We admire them for pushing the boundaries. We admire them for challenging the status quo. And so think of that challenge internally, that struggle that happens for us where you're trying to be something that you don't actually look up to and admire. And then people wonder why they get stuck in lives that they don't love. And for me, that's maybe the, the, common thread oftentimes is whether it's biology, psychology, environment, or spirituality, I find a lot of people that I work with who are living a life they resent, um, that causes them pain, that mm. makes them feel um, joyless, disconnected, uh, purposeless. And because that's not what they want out of life. They want connection. They want joy. They want purpose. They want significance. They fill that up. And in order to numb that voice in their head that is constantly saying, you're not enough, you're not perfect, be more normal, but also be more exceptional. They drink, they use, they do all this stuff to hide from that kind of constant reminder that they're not actually living up to their potential. And that's what we then call addiction is when they become so enamored with an escape from a life that is unhappy for them. And so what I actually try to do oftentimes is help them find the goals, help them find the life that will make them enlivened, that will make them full of joy, living in deep connection and, and really feeling like they have a purpose and significance in the world. Wow. That's, that antidote is so different than so many theories around addiction too. You know, as someone who struggled with an eating disorder for, for mo most of my life, frankly, um, which is definitely a, a, a form of addiction. It's, it's a means yeah. of checking out through starvation um, or through compulsive overeating, whatever your variation is, same, same coin, just different sides. Um, but 
so much of what I learned in the early stages of my recovery was around abstinence and was around kind of like, it felt like putting a leash on the problem rather than uh, inclusion or trying to really get to the root of why there was even an issue. It was just like, put a leash on it and and it will be fine. You know? Um, Yeah. Talk to me more about that. That um, (laughs) the first image that came to mind for me was like someone who's extremely dehydrated and they're like, yes, I know you're extremely dehydrated, but like, we're going to take away like all of your electrolytes so that you can like do something. It's just like, it's almost so oxymoronic. Like it's so true. It's kind of insane. It's kind of when you really stop and think about it and we come up with rationale for why it makes sense. Well, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to talk to your client when they're drunk. I go, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking to somebody who has a problem with not drinking, then yeah, fucking talk to them when they're drunk. I don't know. You got into this work. Like you don't want to work with people who have a problem with drugs and alcohol. Stop working with people who have a problem with drugs and alcohol. Right. you, You can't have it both ways. Right. And I think the thing that I get about it is sure. It makes you feel safe. People tell me all the time. Are you saying, are you telling alcoholics it's okay to drink? Say, I'm not telling them it's okay to do anything. They're already drinking. I'm telling them it's okay to get help and that I'm not going to demand that they do something as a pre-requirement for me helping them. Right. You know, it's just like, are you just going to, are you going to offer help or you're not going to offer help? Like if you're going to start giving me a bunch of conditions, then all you get is one of two things. Either people don't want to get the help, which is what we end up in the field of addiction with. 90% of people who struggle with addiction never get professional help for it. Why? Because the help is disgusting. That's why. Nobody wants it. Um, I give an analogy in the book and I'll use it here. To me, the current addiction treatment system is the equivalent of opening up a restaurant and spending months and months working on the menu and the decor and hiring the staff and the cook and putting your front of line people and, and getting the ads out in the paper. And then you open the restaurant and when people don't come in, be like, damn, man, people are stupid. They don't, they don't want good food. No, that's not why people aren't coming to your restaurant. They're not coming to your restaurant because either your food sucks, you're in a bad location, your staff is rude, your plates are dirty. I don't know why, but stop blaming the customers for not coming for food. Customers are going to eat at really good restaurants all the time. They're just not coming to yours. So the addiction treatment field has created this kind of like holier than thou version of help. Hey, we're here. We just really, really want to help you. It's very strange how nobody comes. It must be something about the disease of addiction that makes people not want help. Right. So, you know, I've worked with thousands of people. They want help. They just might not want the help that you're giving. And we need to let our ego get out of the way a little bit and just get back to the origin of what we're doing here, which is helping people. Totally. It feels so drill sergeant-esque too. Like there's no room for compassion. Like, hey, I'm only going to love you like this. And, you know, I'm all about a a, a boundary. I'm a boundary person. I think that's fabulous. But that when you are in that cycle and you are struggling so deeply and you are really trying to get back on your feet, that sort of a boundary is definitely going to keep me away from your restaurant. Yeah. No doubt. And I think there are even more nuanced ways of it, right? Like every time somebody slips up or isn't perfect, we make them go back to the front of the line. I don't, to the back of the line. I mean, sorry, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, anyway, the way I look at how we should treat addiction is completely different. I think 
you should help people at whatever level they're ready to get help right now in whatever way they're open to getting help. And that's where the conversation should start. Right. Um, mm. And, you know, it causes me to get into, I'll call it debates, sometimes very lively debates with people about what is right and what is wrong. Um, I think there's a revolution coming. I, I get really excited when I talk to some of my colleagues now we're on the same page and we have an, a LinkedIn group that has about like 200 people in it and really excited conversations about this different way of doing things. And we're losing this battle. You know, we're hundreds of thousands of people are dying every year from this. Um, millions of families are destroyed and millions of lives are destroyed. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. I'm hoping we can create some change in that world. Yeah, without a doubt, I think we something has to shift because we've been at this way of doing it for such a long time. It's just really not, it's just not it. I mean, I remember going to rehab myself and there were women there that were like in their 60s and I was 20, you know, and it just was one of those moments of like, I do not want to be doing this 40 years from now. Wow. Like, I cannot fucking do this 40 years from now. Like, it's just not a thing. That might and have been the best thing for you to see too, right? It's, totally. It's so, oh, got it. This is, that's what I don't want. I right. don't want that. Right. So what, for people who are listening and they're like, yes, I'm struggling. Where do we begin? Like, what is this, What do we do? Yeah. So I'll, you know, look, I'll, I'll just kind of go through some of the stuff that we do at Ignited. Uh, so we yeah. have we, this thing called the Ignited Hero Program. And uh, in the book and in the program, I talk about three principles and they are honest exploration, radical acceptance and individualized transformation. And honest exploration, you have to look in deeply into why this is happening. What happened earlier in life? Where did it bring you? Um, what memories do you have? What beliefs do you hold on to that that have created this life that you're in right now? And, and where are you? How bad is it? And get really honest, right? Honest exploration. Inevitably, you find out crap you don't really like during that phase. And so you run away from it and try to fix it because a lot of people, when they find out what's wrong, they go to fix it right away. We put an interim step and that is what I call radical acceptance. I think you can't accept, I mean, sorry, I, I think you can't repair parts of yourself that you're trying to avoid and escape from. And so even though it's stuff you don't like, you have to come to terms with the fact that that's your reality. This is where it's been. And part of acceptance for me is a whole F shame or fuck shame model that we use a lot. It doesn't help to project those negative past experiences onto who you are as a human being. You're, you have incredible ability within you. Shit may have gotten really fucked up up until now, but you still have a, an incredible power to change it. And so radical acceptance is about that, but it's also about recognizing that whether the outcome turned out the way you wanted it to or not, that you gave it your all and that you were giving it your best up until this moment. You just didn't know what you didn't know. So you made choices that led you in the bad direction. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. You, you did what you thought was right to do in the moment and what you thought would get you over each hump. And I'll tell you, when I sit and listen to some of the stories of the people that I've worked with, I totally understand why they ended up where they are. So honest exploration followed by radical acceptance. Once you've accepted this happened in my life, it led to these beliefs, it led to these histories, it led me to this moment and this is where I am right now. Now we can do individualized transformation. Now we can say, mm -hmm. okay, there are hundreds of tools in the world 
My job is now to start picking tools to fix the actual problems I have, not the problem other people think I have. What I found out in honest exploration, go fix each one of those issues. And I promise you, if you do that, explore, accept, and then work on transforming, you will find a completely different life is there under the surface for you. And so my acronym is EAT, right? Explore, accept, transform, uh, wow. which is apropos um, having this conversation with you, right? Just like we have to eat for nourishment and for growth and development biologically, you have to do the same thing psychologically. So you have to pay attention to what you eat. If you do that well, emotionally, psychologically, behaviorally, um, you'll get where you want to go. God, it's so real. It's it, Thank you for actually treating the root because it's as I over the years have cultivated a more loving and intimate relationship to myself and really actually explored those shadows, those things that were disintegrated. Mm. And the more I have integrated them and accepted them about myself, like I don't want to, I don't want to starve or I don't want to eat a whole pizza or I don't want to throw up or I don't want, you know, you just don't want to do that stuff when you are in alignment with yourself and when your insides match your outsides. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I love one of the things I love about watching your, uh, your Instagram channel now since our intro is I can see, and I can imagine how long of a road it took to get to this place, but I can see this very massive freedom and expression that you have. Mm. And I can, I didn't know you back when yeah. these problems were going on, but I can imagine that those were parts that were hidden from most people back in the day because being silly and kind of expressive in ways that are not necessarily um, highly choreographed and, and, um, and produced, but rather are just emoting. Yes. That's the most dangerous thing to do. Right. Terrifying. And well, cause it's not perfect. Like, and dancing and moving around, like there's such a freedom in it once you discover it. But we, yes. so many of us are born into a cage right. and we believe that the cage is real until one day we go, oh shit, um, I don't want to be in this cage anymore. Right. <laughs> and then somebody goes, the keys have been right there the whole time. Just, you can grab the keys whenever you want. And they're like, wait, what? Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, what? Yeah, exactly. I'm standing in this cage right here and the keys are right there? Yeah. What? What the hell? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so, so real. And, and thank you for being so observant because that is so, I mean, I was trained in ballet. So it's like the perfect physical representation of that. Like everything is perfect right, right, right. and controlled. And, and it's, oh my God, such a perfect thing. It's made literally. to look graceful. Yes. And like when I see a ballet, I go, wow, look at how smooth all that is. To the actual ballet dancer, it's like highly technical. I'm, oh God, I moved a half an inch more than I should have. Like, ah. And you're out of it. And like, if you do, and again, if you're not like perfectly on, then you're down, you know? And it's so much control. Yeah, totally. You you will not be performing that role ever again in your life. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. That's cool. All right. Cool. This is, this is my life now. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is like such a, a beautiful, I, I find that the more I look at my life, I, I would love to know if this is something for you as well, but I, I do find that the more I really look at it and kind of zoom out of it and, you know, get deeper into, you know, TM and all the different 
things that I do to, to embody my body. The metaphors in life become so hilarious. Walk me through one of these metaphors that you kind of like caught yourself and you were like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. Um, just when I, so did you know that if you actually look at a hologram, like a holographic image, you cut it. Mm. When you cut it, you'll get the same image, the whole image on both. Oh no. And you can keep cutting it infinitesimally and it will continue to create the same image over and over and over and over and over again. Mm. And so it really is such a microcosm, macrocosm. Like our insides really do match our outsides. Like even you talk about like going to jail, like what a fucking metaphor jail is. <laughs> yeah, 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 no doubt. I mean, have you ever read Bruce Lipton? Bruce yes. Lipton? Yeah. Um, so in, in the biology of belief, one of the things that I love so much is that he talks about, you know, our bodies will only be able to do whatever our cells can do. And so you can, mm. you can extend out to our entire being, or you can look at a single cell and our body's function will be limited by whatever that cell can do. So don't underestimate the micro don't underestimate the minutia. And, um, yes, I'm a, I'm a huge, I've always been an academic. I've always loved learning. And I think you're so right. There are not only absurd, but also, deeply perplexing and enlightening discussions and questions that you get to have by just exploring, right? By just learning about things that are outside of your world. There's this, um, I wrote an article about this for psychology today once. There's this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Keep uh, have going. You heard, Keep have going. you ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Uh-uh. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is a psychological bias whereby the less you know about something, the more you think you know about it. Or so you can be prone to thinking you know the most about the areas of life that you know the least about. Um, I think we're still in, but have recently left a period where that was happening everywhere around us. Like people were just talking about topics that they know nothing about and, and owning them like, how dare you not believe, you know, my view on A, B, C, and D. And, mm. and the reason is simple. If, if I don't know anything about astrophysics, but like I read an article about it in Vogue or Men's Health. Um, I didn't want to be gender specific in that example. Uh, <laughs> That's good. And then you like, you go into a deep conversation and, and you start having this really massive talk about, you know, quantum physics and, and, you know, this from a minutia of detail that you read in an article, then you think, you know, everything there is to know because you have no frame of reference. You can't compare anything. Like my knowledge about eating disorders is relatively limited based on the people I've worked with. Most of what I've worked with is alcohol, drugs, and sex. Sure. If I start, but, but I'm an addiction expert, so I can start pretending that I know everything about it and speaking with authority. I think that the only cure for that in our current world, and it's something that we're not doing a great job of, and I hope we will continue doing a better job of it, is to have curiosity all the time about things you know nothing about and, and be explorers in the, in the ultimate sense, right? Like sit down with people you don't understand and you don't not necessarily don't get along with, but who, who have completely different experiences of the world from you and talk with them mm. and understand their point of view and where they came from and what they know that you don't know. Our job in life is not, 
as I think we've been doing for the last hundreds of years, is not to protect our view of the world. I think it's to become more curious about a comprehensive view of the world that is really only gotten by the perspective of other people. And I always strive to not be fighting with people about protecting my version of the world, but rather step in and go, let's, let's have this conversation and explain to me why you think I'm wrong and then not fight them on it, but rather listen and try to understand why they truly believe that. So it's, and it pertains to everything. Like it's, I think so. I Tim, Tim, I think so too, and of course, I would be happy to discuss the contrary. Um, but truly, like I think of where we stand politically, and where we stand as far as human rights and socioeconomic issues, and people just they want to be right so bad. And the reactivity that spurs out of that needing to be right rather than staying interested. Yeah. It's like, it's really, really hard to witness. Um, but that's, yeah, there's, an, that, there's an exercise I give in my, in my program that starts out with, you know, you're walking down a path and it's this path of nature. And when you end up coming to this peak and you see a mountain in front of you and it's beautiful, it's snow peaked and it's got mm. slopes and the trees are at the base. And, and then, a few days later, you describe that mountain to a friend at a party and they're like, oh my God, I was there a couple of days ago too. I saw this, that mountain, but it didn't look the way you described it. It looked, and then they go describe this other thing. And you go, that's not what my mountain looked like. Like you, you must not be looking at the same mountain. And they're like, no, 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 it was right here. And you, and you go, well, kind of, but my mountain didn't look like that. And then you can end up fighting about what you saw and you're, def- you're like, no, no, but there was definitely a steep slope to the left of the peak and it was snow covered. And they're like, there was, that didn't exist. You're, you must've seen it. And all you're missing is that they were like 15, 20 miles down the road, seeing the exact same mountain from a different angle. Right. And you're actually fighting about the same mountain, but you're holding different perspectives of it. And I think we do that so much in life. Yes. And then we will die on that hill, right? Like we will, <laughs> we will go to our grave swearing that we were right. And people are looking at us like, no, 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 that's not the way it happened. And mm. there's some block, an ego block, in my opinion, inside of us of either, some of us think about admitting that we're wrong, but I don't even think it's wrong. It's just, mm. I have a different perspective on this thing. I feel like we need to just get comfortable saying that, oh, I saw it differently before, but now I understand that you see it this other way. And then both of these perspectives can exist at the same time. Wow, how amazing could that be? What a concept. Talk about uh, compassion and integration. I mean, whoa. Yeah, I I hope we can get there. I hope so too, but it's going to take us all, I think, in, in my opinion, you know, slowing down and becoming more embodied and conscious and less reactive. And that reactivity is such a huge, at least for me in my experience, that reactivity was such a huge piece of my addiction. Mm. You know, for me, it was that, that reaction to my trauma, that reaction to these limiting beliefs, this reaction to, because from a place of presence and from a place of, the word that keeps coming is embodiment. I, 
you don't, or at least for me, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have done what I would have done when it came to my eating disorder and things like that. Like that reactivity is, it's quick, it's sharp, it's fast, and it's usually not for our highest good. Does that resonate at all? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think, I think that in general, this again, right, that need to defend self, to defend ego, to defend our way of doing things mm-hmm. can can be it can be reactive and it can be isolating at the same time and then you end up in your own echo chamber over time right where yes well those people don't understand me so i'll go solve all this in my head but the problem is in your head there is only one perspective and i mean that in a very literal sense right it works anecdotally and, and metaphorically as well but like just whoever's listening right now just stop what you're doing right now and just look ahead if you just put your arms out like at a 90 degree angle, this is what you get in the world, right? The perspective that you're seeing in front of you right now is what you see. And your world is very egocentric. You are in the middle of it and everything else is facing you right now. Mm-hmm. Now, if I turn around, I'll see something else, but I can't see the other perspective anymore. That's gone, mm. right? And, and that's, we just have to accept that that's how our life is. I see what's in front of me. And if I know that, then I can defend against the limitations that that creates in me. But if I ignore that fact, then what I believe is that I'm seeing the world as it is, but I'm not. Mm. I'm seeing it as it is from this angle facing this way. That's it. Mm. That's all I'm seeing in the world right now. So when people say, like get heated here in a second, but it's okay. When people say (laughs) bullshit like, well, we shouldn't talk about black lives matters because it's all lives matters. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's cool. But you're, if you're not a black person, you don't get to fucking talk about it that way because you don't have that existence. You, you are not born in their shoes. So of course okay. you don't have their perspective. I get it. I'm not asking you to have their perspective, but have a little empathy Yes. and say, Oh, I'm hearing that from your point of view, the world looks different than the way I see it. And my job is not to persuade you that it looks the way I see it because the way I see it comes from my perspective. So it doesn't look the same to you. It just doesn't. And I could want it to be equal, but you're telling me it's not. And I could want there to not be biased cops and law enforcement and judicial systems and laws and blah, 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 that are systematically hurting you Mm. and I'm not seeing it because they're not hurting me. They're not doing the same thing to me. So my perspective doesn't allow for that. But again, my job is not to defend my perspective. It's to understand that your lived experience is different. And if we can just do a little bit of that, then we get to let go of the need to defend. Like, oh, I'm a white male who's like, always been at least middle class, maybe when we first moved to the States, like lower middle class, but like middle class and upper middle class. The idea, the notion for me to hold on to that my life experience is equal to that of everybody else is insane. Mm. That, that would just, I would just be crazy if I thought that. Men that look different than I do, women, period, uh, children, Older people who I haven't lived in their shoes yet either, right? Mm -hmm. I'm 45 years old, about to be 45. And so like there are people in their 80s. I can't speak to ageism. Mm -mm. You know why? Because I'm not 80. So 
I have like, just, we all need to calm down a little bit. Stop defending yourself so much. We get it. We all have a perspective on life. That's amazing. Congratulations. You've had an experience in life. Now, stop believing that that applies to the entire rest of humanity and just accept that it just doesn't. Seven and a half billion people on this planet and you are one of them and your perspective doesn't matter than anybody else, more than anybody else's. No. I mean, it's like, look at Instagram. It's like there's however many filters. Well, seven billion filters, okay? We're all seeing it completely, completely different. And, and to me, that ties so deeply into our relationship with ourselves because again, if our insides match our outsides, the empathy with which we meet ourselves mm. depicts how, how empathetically we can meet each other. And I know you're doing a lot of work with relationships. So I'd love to we do, we do. hear My about that. I, so, yeah. So Sophie and I have had some cheating in our history. Um, I cheated on her when we first started dating, had multiple occurrences, moving farther and farther away from physical cheating, but still emotionally and sexually cheating with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually she cheated on me. And so we've had to deal with some of those things and, and in dealing with it, had to really come to terms and understand what are we here for? Why are we here? What is, are we going to be able to make this work if we're not perfect? Anyway, a lot of different elements like that. And in the same vein of what I was just speaking about culturally, when you're in a relationship with somebody, so many people that I know try to persuade their partner that their way of doing things is the right way. (laughs) And then the partner's on the other side trying to do the same thing to you. And they wonder why it doesn't work out and the relationships fail and they fight all the time. And the reason is, and it, it took me years to realize this and it's going to take me many, many more years to get better at it. But my job is always to go, if my wife is telling me something that that's the way she's seeing it. Mm-hmm. And my job is not to persuade her that my way is right. My job is to understand her perspective and maybe bring her over to my side if that's if that works, or meet in the middle, or maybe I come to her side, right? Like in the end, it becomes less about being right and more about creating a harmonious relationship. We have this saying we learned from one of our therapists once, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Mm. And totally. Like I could be right with my wife and just be divorced and alone. Like that's cool if that's what I'm looking for. Or I can figure out how to stop trying to talk her into, no, 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 you're stupid. My (laughs) version of life is the right one. And until you understand that, we don't get to live together. And then I get to make a choice. I've chosen multiple times to go, okay, hold on. This is really hard for me to understand that you didn't experience our dinner, the movie, the like sexual experience we had, the whatever, the kiss. Mm -hmm the same way I did. And now it's not my job to defend myself, but rather to understand yours. Teach us your ways. This is, this is complex shit and it's so difficult. Uh, so, so powerful. It's so important. You know, I, I, you know that my mom passed a few months ago and, um, and I know that you lost your father many years ago as well. And, and just through that process, I feel like there's such a, um, it's such beautiful learning in the sense of you really, or at least for me in my experience, there was so much, sh- there's been a lot of shedding around what's important in life and what's not important when you lose somebody that's very close to you. And so I've been thinking about gravestones lately and it's like, mm-hmm. well, what do you want on your, on your headstone? Like, wow. you know what? She was so thin. 
or like, oh, you know what? He was so right all the fucking time. He was right all the time. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, no, that that's not it. <laughs> now they brought that on as a joke, though. Yeah. Daffy lies here. Yeah. He's always right. Always right. That's how we're, we'll remember you. Yeah, you know no what, doubt. You know what I love about that example is when you say it out loud, it just sounds fucking ridiculous. Totally. Totally. You can still operate your whole life going like, no, no, I've got to show people that I'm right. That I'm right. Got to show people that I'm thin. Got to show people that I am super busy. Oh my God. She was so busy. Alexa Savage, here she lies. She was so fucking busy. Whoa. Power. Like what? Oh my but God, it's like, killed it's, me. it's real. It's so, so real. And, and we're trying and we're doing and we're trying to show, show that like, ah, oh. Oh, I love it in all the ways. Like I have, I have, a, this is an exercise now. I'm, I'm going to turn this into an exercise either Please. in my program or at least we're going to do it on here. Yes. I want everybody to just stop and take all the fears and all the like limiting beliefs you've had about what you must, must, must do in life yes. and write them as a gravestone. Holy yeah. shit. This is amazing. It's so good. Like a DJ lies here. He looked, he looked really good after a workout. Like I yep. can just imagine all these like <laughs> the vanity bullshit that comes up in my head all the time. Yes. And yes. then she was married. Am I, am I going to care at all when I die? If anybody knows that about me ever. And the answer yeah. is no. Like Hard I know man. now, and it's so true. You say that. So my dad died 10 years ago. And I, and so I really do not just uh, a, yes, I empathize, but I also, I've lived that experience that you're going through right now. And it's, yeah, um, I mean, nothing prepares you for it. There's no way to really understand that void just all of a sudden appearing in your life. My mom is actually staying with us right now. Mm. Um, and she comes with probably like once a year, she, she missed Corona last year, but, um, mm. about once a year, she comes and stays with us for a little bit. And it's, it's really, really nice to have that. But my dad called me every morning for the last like 15 years of his life. And so, Every day I get the little like thing in the morning that is missing and you're right. It took a while though for me, maybe I'm thick headed, but it took a while for me to allow it to become about the things that are more important. And it was definitely about all the opportunities that I missed for many, many times. But that being said, like my goal, and I've said this to Sophie now, my goal when I leave, the only thing I want people to, know or care about me is that I helped as many people as possible. I have a goal of like a million people in my head, but like, that's, that's what I want now. I want my kids to remember that I was a good dad. And then I want the world to know me as somebody who helped a lot of people. And that is not the version of me from 20 years ago. Oh, of course. Of course. Well, and so beautiful that in my friend, Mark Groves, he says, you take your mess and you turn it into your message. And that's what makes a really, really powerful message, you know, is you just yeah, yeah, yeah. allowing it to be messy and then cleaning it up, but then helping other people clean up theirs. Yeah. And I say this to a lot of people that I work with, um, because a lot of people say to me, well, how did you get to that place? Right. Like, um, I actually specifically talk around relationships, which we mentioned before mm -hmm. that, um, with Sophie, what I learned is, 
Yeah, I'll just say it this way, to look forward to the conflict. And and couples that I work with That's cool. will say to me, Well, how can you say that? That just that's so weird. Why would you say you look forward to the conflict? And what I say always is because I know that on the other side of the conflict is a better relationship. Hmm. And I didn't know that before. I thought we were supposed to avoid conflict. And so I did, which means nothing ever got resolved, nothing ever got fixed. And now I know whether it's five minutes of friction or a 30 minute fight or like a day and a half of tension and, and upset. There's something we haven't worked through in here. And if we shy away from it, it's just going to stay there. But if we work through it and resolve it, then uh, everybody will be better off for it. The issues are in the tissues, man. You don't solve it too. You don't work through it. It stays. That shit breeds. In the bod. God, that's so good. I look forward to, what was it? I look forward to, was it conflict? Conflict. Conflict. God, so good. Wow. Well, I know that you, you know, have, have this desire and dream to, to help people. And I just want to say, just from talking to you for the last 45 minutes, you certainly have done that. Mm, Thank you so much. I'm so, so grateful that you're here and that you're doing this in the style that you're doing this, which I know is authentic to you, but it's really powerful work. And I just, let's just keep spreading the word, you know? Hallelujah and amen. Mm-hmm. Where can we find you? Um, so we started a website called adjaffe.com for this question, literally, because people would ask <laughs> and, uh, and we just wanted to make it easy. So adjaffe.com. Uh, works as a starting point. I wrote a book called The Abstinence Myth, and you can find that on Amazon or at theabstinencemyth.com. And then I'm wearing a hat that says Ignited the way we spell it. We have a podcast named that, and uh, also all the recovery work and the addiction work that I do is under that umbrella. I love it. I love it so much. By the way, my French bulldog just decided to plop in and now he's uh, snoring. So I just want the audience to know everyone. I'm not like farting. It's not me snoring. Yeah, that's not me that's snoring. Not me. It's neither of us are snoring and I'm not farting either. It's just my dog. So that's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> so I guess we'll end there. <laughs> there you go. Perfect. Perfect. Can we name the episode that? I'm it's not, not farting. me farting. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be my gravestone actually it's not me farting she never farted that's that's i swear to god i'm doing yeah i'm gonna make i'm gonna turn this into an exercise i love that so much thank you for read that shit for that oh my god such a gift and happy birthday to your gorgeous wife yes and you are amazing and i look forward to sharing this thank you alexa thanks for having me on and thanks for everybody listening All right, you guys, thank you so much for carving out the time to listen to this wisdom, to listen to uh, all this goodness. Um, Once again, gentle reminder to please check out savagelosangeles.com to learn more about my new company that I'm so proud of. I hope it inspires you to create and cultivate a life that you dig. Um, And also, if you are down and have, you know, oh, I don't know, 10 seconds, then please, please give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. Super easy. Just give it five stars, maybe say a few kind words. And if you dug it, 
please share it with your friends. I would be over the moon with gratitude. Um, all right. You guys are the bee's knees. Much love. Stay savage. <laughs>